0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Bad Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If you were with us last week, we... Touched on the subject of review, we saw that in God's eyes, review is equally as important as His initial revelation, and uh, we are the ones that fail to give weight to what God what, to what God says a second time, or a third time, or a fourth time. How many of you know we don't get it the first time? If you want to lie in church today, you can come down later. We'll have the altars wide open if you think you get it the first time, every time. But God uh, very much wants to keep his word in front of us. God wants his word to be revealed to us initially, but reviewed to us on an ongoing basis so that it can provide the results that we know that his word is capable of producing in our lives. Uh, His word is not spoken just to give you something to read and give you something to do. We know the word of God contains blessings. The word of God contains promises. The word of God contains promises. Promises over your life that if we adhere to the word, follow the instructions and keep his word, that there are blessings that will overcome us. And there would be really, honestly, less that you would have to ask God for that would come as a byproduct of just following his word. Amen? Wouldn't have to find ourselves on our knees pressing and pushing if uh, many times we would find ourselves in a position of obedience Then we would find the things that we are pressing and pushing and praying for so much coming into our lives as a byproduct. And so God's word comes to us initially as a revelation. I like to put it this way, that every time you hear the word preached or every time you hear the word ministered, we're doing one of two things. Today, we're doing one of two things by ministering the word of God to you. One, we're either forming a new belief within you that you had not known or heard before. Uh, the Word of God can do that. The Word of God can form and shape and, and build a uh, belief system within you that can either alter what you used to believe or just be a brand new belief system altogether. Uh, for some, uh, you may not know, may have never heard before that God is a healer and that he wants to heal your physical body. And that he has healing available to you because Jesus took stripes on his back uh, so that you could walk in physical perpetual health In your body. For somebody today, that might be the first time you've ever heard that spoken. Uh, Let's take it even a little further. For someone maybe in this room, you've never heard that uh, God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for your life. And if you would accept and make Jesus the Lord of your life, give Him rule and reign in your life, that you can receive the abundance of that life that God has for you. For someone today, that might be the first time. But let me just by show of hands, because I'm a assuming most of us have heard that before. How many of us have heard that if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you receive eternal life in him? How many of you have heard that? look at all those hands. So, you know, the second time that I hear that, or maybe the thousandth time that you've heard that now, uh, maybe it doesn't bear the same weight as the initial revelation. What Robert was even trying to encourage you with today is to remember the day you walked out of the grave, the day you ran away from the world, the day that you turned your life over to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords, the day that you came out of darkness and were brought in to light, the day that you were made brand new by the spirit of God, the day that you were washed away the old life and you took on the new life and God made all things new. But we forget these things. We forget these moments. We forget the the day that we accepted, made him the Lord of our lives. So what does it need? It needs repeating. It needs recalling it needs some remembering. Sometimes it's good to remember what I've been delivered from. It, it's, it's good to remember the life that I would be forced to live had Jesus not paid the ultimate price. You know, sometimes it's good to remember the foundational things that God has brought us into. And when we, when we treat review as less then the initial revelation, it loses its power. It loses its power. And so we saw last week that there is a need for the church to be reminded of things. Jesus himself said, I'm gonna send to you the Holy Spirit, the comforter, and he's gonna teach you all things, but he also said this, and he will remind you of all that I've said. He will remind you of everything I've taught you now. Apparently, Jesus saw that what he was saying was so important that you needed to hear it again. We know this, that Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It does not say faith comes by having heard. Well, oh, I heard that once. Oh yeah, I've heard this before. I've heard this scripture. Oh, there he goes. Pastor Mark's going to that scripture again. We've already heard this one. Nope, faith is, is, is built and faith comes and faith is developed in our lives as we continually hear and continually put ourselves in a posture where I don't treat the word of God as common just because I've heard it on a regular, consistent basis. See, this is, this is the, the danger of diligence the danger of diligence, that what we do diligently can be treated as common. What we do consistently can become common in our lives. That what we are the most faithful at, we can become the most forgetful of. I said we can be faithful at something and still be forgetful of something. We can be faithful, showing up, I'm here, we can count on you, we know what we can expect, God knows what he's going to get, and we do it dedicated, and we do it consistently, and we do it diligently, but diligence has a danger, diligence has to be pursued, and diligence has to be intentional, not accidental. The word of God does not provide power to the person that receives it accidentally, The word of God does not provide power to the person that it just casually goes in one ear and out of the other. Uh, Paul encouraged Timothy, be a studier of the word. That's the opposite of a casual hearer. But a a, a studier gives diligent, intentional uh, uh, effort to acquire the knowledge of the word of God and to be in it. And so Paul and Peter and, and, and the apostles were constantly writing in their letters, I want to remind you of this. I want to bring to your remembrance. I don't want you to become forgetful. James writes that that, that the word that we hear and then when we walk away, forget. He said, those kind of people are deceived. Those people live deceived lives because they think they've got something when they don't. And they think they've received something when they didn't. But he said what? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Don't, don't behold your face in a mirror. Look at it. And then when you walk away, forget what kind of man you are. And so man has always, we have always, since the beginning of time, had uh, this battle, if you will, this struggle, if you will, of forgetting what God said. And we saw in Joshua, between Joshua, the book Joshua and the book Judges, that, that when we forget what God has done and we forget what God has said and we forget what God has proclaimed, then we can lose what God has promised. When I forget what God proclaims, then I will lose what God has promised. When I forget what God has promised, Proclaim. We go over to Judges chapter 2 and we find out very quickly we find out that it didn't take but one book. It didn't take but one generation to forget the word of God and they failed to pass it down to the next generation and they did what? They abandoned because what happens is, is when you don't do the word and apply the word and put it into practice, be ye doers of the word not hearers only, when we don't add the application of the word to the hearing of the word, we despise the word. We're entering a day now, as was promised by the apostles, of, of itching ears. You know, we have Itching Ear Ministries. Itching Ear Ministries International. Itching Ear World Changers Denomination International Incorporated. LLC, nonprofit, <laughs> whatever tag you want to put on it. We, we've got, we, we have the itching ear. Why? What is itching ears? Itching ears is when I have to hear something new. Itching ears is when you got to give me something more. You know, I can't compete with that. I, I, can't, I can't come in here and, and spend a week trying to impress you. I I can't come in here and and try to keep up. You know, one of the things uh, that we live in in our day and age is we're always having to outdo ourselves. I mean, it does not take long for me as a techie geek guy. I can admit that. I'm securing myself. It doesn't take long to say, when's the next one coming out? What's the next one going to have? And, and, and what Apple has done is they've set themselves up where they have to outperform themselves. And what they do is they give you an upgrade and you download an upgrade and it crashes your phone so you have to buy the next one. That's, that's how they keep you buying their stuff because they have to constantly compete with themselves. Well, the church wasn't designed to compete with anything. The church wasn't designed to be in competition with anybody down the road or anybody that you see on Instagram. I don't care who you listen to and you ought to listen to others. You ought to be able to build yourself up and have people that speak into your life and and places that you can go to get the word uh, unabandoned and uncompromised. You should have that. But when you have a pastor and when you have a church, that's where your number one dedication is. And I am not going to compete with Stephen Furtick and Jerry Savelle, and Kenneth Copeland, and Benny Hinn, and whoever else you want to listen to throughout the week. I will not compete. I will only listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to you through me. I am your pastor. Amen. Period. I'm not in competition. I was talking to uh, uh, well, I guess I'll call him a friend. He's my friend now. A friend that pastors near Charlotte, North Carolina. And he says, he says it's ridiculous. If you're not familiar with Elevation Church and Stephen Furtick and the, 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 the work and the ministry, they're doing great, great stuff. It's awesome. But he says, it's the worst thing trying to pastor a church 30 miles away from, from, from what they're doing there. Because everybody expects me to either be like him or eventually he's going to open up a campus and shut us all down or whatever the case is. But, but, but this is the other thing. People are fickle. People will run to the, whoever's got the biggest tent and the loudest voice and the, the coolest looking stuff. At the end of the day, you've got to know, where has God placed me? Where has God planted me? Because I will only prosper where I'm planted. I will only be fl- I will only flourish and be fruitful where I'm faithful. And I can't be faithful with another man's. I can only be faithful with what God has placed in my hand and where he's put me. And I can't account, I will not give account for someone else. And I will not stand before Jesus and say, what about them? I will stand before Jesus for what he's told me to say, what he's told me to preach, Where he's told me to be, and I will stay planted, and I will stay rooted. And even when the storms and the trials try to come to uproot me, when when, when it looks like uh, uh, struggles are coming as a result of honoring God's word and obeying God's word, I will stay the course. I will press on forgetting those things that lie behind and pressing on to what is to come because somebody has given me an assignment and a purpose and I will fulfill it until the day I die or until the day he comes. And so this this element of of review is so crucial for the believer because we can become forgetful and, and we can find ourselves wandering away from the things that we once held so dear. There was a day when that word touched you and reached you at your core. There was a day when just hearing the gospel message and the salvation message placed such an impression upon your life, you said, I have to have that. And maybe you were even one of those that was dogmatic enough to go tell somebody else, I just got saved and you need what I have. And you shared it. Whatever the case is, God is wanting to speak into our lives. God is wanting to reveal His Word to us, but He also wants to review His Word to us. And so, through that message, and there's much more to it. If you weren't here last week, uh, I would highly encourage you to, to to go on and 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 listen. Uh, it's available online for you, and um, it will bless you. But. Through that message, I was really setting us up and I don't know if this is something that we'll carry out through the rest of the year, Uh, but for now, the first thing that the Lord has placed on my heart to review with our church is the church, the church. And so I wanna spend the next several weeks just talking to you about the church, the local church, what you're sitting in and a part of and engaging in right now as we speak. And I want you to hear the words that I have to say today and every week, anybody that's ministering, because, you know, obviously I have a very, high level of investment in the church in that I've given my life and my call. This is not a career for me. This is a calling to walk this out and to pastor people, to shepherd the flock, to be an under shepherd, under the great shepherd, but to take on the great task and the great assignment of of training, developing, maturing, equipping, and edifying the church, the body of Christ, the local church. And I want you to hear the words that we have to say. And, and, and I pray that I don't come off. I, I've been looking at this now really since about January, January 1, right at the turn of the new year. And it's interesting how things have played out and, and more revelation has come and for me being so highly invested, you know, sometimes having a high level of investment in something, uh, means that things can irritate you that maybe don't bother others. You ever notice that? Like there's things in, in your house that might not bother other people, but it's not their house. So they don't really have a high level of investment. Right. You're the one living in it. You're the one dealing with it. You're the one that sees it every day. You're the one that cares. So when you've got a high level of investment, you can also have a high level of frustration and a high level of, of, of what uh, you know it can be and a high expectation. I mean, I would venture to say that my expectation of, of what this place looks like on a weekend uh, is probably a lot greater than, than most of yours. And I'm not condemning you for that. I'm not saying that yours should be. Obviously, I am going to have a very high level of expectation of what this place is providing and, and what this place is doing and, and, and how we are going about the mission that God has called us to do. And frustration many times gets a bad rap. Frustration many times uh, is, well, you know, you just shouldn't be frustrated. You just, you know, that shouldn't bother you. You know, you just need to learn to let that go. No, many times frustration is pointing you to something that needs correcting and needs adjusting. I would venture to say that maybe we don't get frustrated enough. Or maybe we leave our frustration at the vocal level. We voice frustration, but we don't ever really take steps to correct it or do anything about it. I mean, there's a lot of things I'm frustrated with about the United States of America. Anybody else? We're not going to have a tea party or not i not going to go one by one, hand off the microphone. We'd be here all day. But I wonder how well our actions and, and the steps that we take towards maybe correcting some of those frustrations, whether on a personal level, level in your own life. Hey, I may not be able to change the whole picture, but I can change my world. I may not be able to change the racial division in our country as a whole, but I know how I can treat my brother and my sister with the love of the Lord, regardless of skin color and demographic and where you came from. I know how to walk in the love of God, and I know how to treat everybody as equal, and I know how to show the love of God to anybody that God places in front of me. I can do that. And maybe there are bigger, greater steps that we could take towards uh, changing uh, some of the things that we're actually frustrated about. But sometimes frustration is a good thing. Sometimes uh, I would even put it this way, action doesn't even take place until we've had frustration. And sometimes the level of our frustration dictates the level of action that we implement. And so, again, I want you to hear the words that I have to say. The Lord gave me this word this past week. He said, We are the body of Christ, and we are the hope for the world. We are the body of Christ. And we are the hope for the world. I'll say that one more time. We are the body of Christ. And we are the hope for the world. There's two words I want you to key in on here. Of and for. Of and for. We are the body of Christ. Of communicates source. If you are of something, that speaks to where you came from. What you are of is your source. In your source, uh, you know, we have to have an understanding of what our source is as the church. We are the body of Christ. That means we are Jesus in the earth. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice. We are the ones acting and and putting action to the will of God in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. But his body is in the earth in the form of you and I. The church. So I have to remember who my source is. I, the church is not its own source. The church is not its own source. That means we don't get to dictate what God has designed. There are some things based on the word of God that ought to be evident, fruit that is shown through the body of Christ. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. So I ought to be carrying out the will of Jesus. I should be carrying out as a member of the church and as the local church as a whole, should be bearing fruit of what we should not be doing stuff that God never intended for us to do while things that he intended for us to do go undone. Anybody with me? We should not be compromising the mission of the head of the church, Jesus, for our own glory, our own ambition, our own benefit is what I'm saying. Why? Because he's the source. We are the body of Christ but we are the hope for the world. Jesus said that we are a light on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, preserving it until the day he comes. Bible says, Jesus said, that we are the light of the world. That's the local church. So if of is assignment or I'm sorry if of is source for is assignment the body of Christ that's my source the hope for the world that's my assignment i cannot forget who i'm serving as i'm serving him who we're trying to reach And in everything that we do, remembering those two things, if we forget one or the other or both, the church becomes ineffective. If we remember, if we forget, I'm sorry, who our source is, and if we forget who our assignment is, the church will be rendered ineffective in these last days. Again, I know this is review, I know that this is the word of the Lord, reminding, bringing to remembrance, and so I hope that you'll stay with me based upon last week's message that we need to treat the review of God's word with the same weight as the revelation of God's word. So go with me to Mark chapter 2 if you will. I've got to remember who the source is. I've got to remember who the assignment is. We're the body of Christ, and we are the hope for the world. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, reading in the New Living, it says, When Jesus returned to to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, what did Jesus see? What did he see? He saw their faith. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there, thought to themselves. What were they doing? They're just sitting there. They're just sitting there. Thought to themselves. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. By the way, that word immediately is all throughout Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel uh, is what people actually believe to be Peter's translation. If Peter wrote a book of the Bible, which he did, obviously Peter, but if he wrote an account of Jesus, this would have been it. Peter and John Mark, the author of Mark, were very close. And Mark is basically writing this book because he didn't actually literally walk with Jesus. He wasn't one of Jesus' initial apostles on one of the insiders, one of the 12. But he was so close with Peter that he ended up writing an account of Jesus's life. But you'll notice he gets right to the punch, man. He gets to Jesus's baptism and he goes right on up to his ascension. He covers uh, the three and a half years of Jesus's ministry. We don't have any genealogies. We don't hear about where he's from. We don't have the birth of Jesus and the whole uh, uh, Bethlehem story. Mark says, we ain't got time for that. We got work to do. There's a mission at hand. And so we need to go. And so you'll notice in throughout Mark that he's just bouncing from one thing to the next. And you see the word immediately or suddenly and variations of that. The word immediately on its own is throughout this book 42 times. 42 times he says something along the lines of immediately. And so Jesus knew when? Immediately. Why? Because there's work to do. We don't have time to sit around and waste. We have work to do. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Yeah, that's right. I know what you're thinking. I know what's on the inside. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? And so I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I don't know which part they were alluding to. Maybe four dudes carrying a lame man around. Never seen that before. That's that's pretty good friendship. Or maybe the fact, that they actually carved a hole in somebody else's house, in someone else's roof. Uh, Maybe they'd never seen someone press so hard to get somewhere that they couldn't get. Can't go through the door, so they gotta find another way to get access to Jesus. Or maybe they said, we've never seen a lame man literally get up, receive healing, and walk out when he was carried in. Or maybe they said, we've never seen a man forgive someone else's sins because that had never been done before. Maybe they meant, we've never seen someone stand up to the Pharisees and the religious leaders like Jesus. We've never seen someone know what someone is thinking in their hearts and have the boldness to call them out on it. I mean, there's a lot of things in this passage that they could be surprised and amazed by. And I think for me, in these last days, I kind of gave you my testimony last week, my journey to where God has called My wife and I to be, we're actually celebrating 12 years of marriage today. Today is our 12 year anniversary. Amen. It gets better and better. What are you doing here preaching? Because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. Now we had our time away the last couple days and we've enjoyed it, but we're here doing ministry because that's what we're called to do. That's the assignment. And she's been by my side for the last 12 years. And of every one of you sitting in this room, there's only one person that I really care what she's thinking. And that's this one. I don't care what you're thinking. I don't care what you say. (laughs) That's the only one that matters. And we're doing this together. We're pastoring this thing together. And when we answered the call, and even when I initially received the call, as a young child growing up, you know it's funny how you see things before you get in. It's it's funny, uh, maybe a little bit of arrogance, if you will. Sometimes arrogance is because of ignorance. Maybe I felt a little more bold because I didn't really know all that I was getting myself into by answering the call to pastoring. Or, you know, maybe you knew how to parent someone else's kids really well and then you had one of your own and you're like, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> Won't they just shut that kid up? And that's what they're thinking about yours. Amen. It's amazing how we have these perspectives and the reality is a lot different than the idea. And along with that, now that we are answering the call and and pastoring, we started out as children's pastors as I talked about last week and answered the call to, to come to Valdosta and pastor this church. And I think for one, I saw myself pastoring in the 90s. A lot different in the 90s, the church world was. It's really a lot less complicated. It's a lot different. Wasn't, felt like, not so much to it. Again, I'm on the outside looking in. But I know, professionally speaking, from other pastors. I mean, I know pastors that have been pastoring for 20, 30, 40, 50 years they're having the hardest time in these days. That maybe what we thought was supposed to help us do church is hindering us from doing church. Uh, Maybe it's the distractions. Maybe uh, it's, it's the busyness of life. I don't know how many times I have people impressed with us, or maybe it's not impressed. Maybe it's curiosity or maybe stupidity. Uh, that we still do a Wednesday night midweek service. And we do. For the other 80% of you that don't come, we do a Wednesday night... I'm I'm just playing. You see what I mean? Just playing. I'm just playing. Uh, We still do a Wednesday night midweek service. And it's powerful. We teach the word of God. We get right down to it. We get you out by 8 o'clock. I can't make that promise because he's the head of the church. If he wants to go to 8.15, we're going to let him go to 8.15. But we have a goal. We don't want to keep you here all night. You've got life. We want to empower and equip and encourage you to do life, not pull you away from it. It's not contention. I, I, I see that so, so often and so many times. It's, it, we're having to choose between church and work. You know what? Some people got to work late. And it's 2019. Some people got to work on Sundays. And so we're working hard to make this stuff available where even if you're not here physically in the room, that you can get the word of God, the presence of God. And God will honor that. And for those that want to sleep in and watch from your bedroom in your pajamas when you're three or four miles down the road, God will not honor that. I'm just telling you. I'm going to go ahead and speak for him. I'm going to come into agreement with the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves in the last days as is the case of some, and even more so, as the day drawn, drawn... I didn't write that verse. I didn't stick that in there like, you know what, these people need to know. They don't need to be forsaken the assembly, so I'm just going to throw that. He put it in there. Maybe the writer of the gospel and of the Bible knew that in the last days, the, the, and the, the, the natural digression will be to gather less. So we put it in there. But I want to remove the contention. I want to remove the challenges. Church is here to help you be someone, not just do something. And we want to help you be something for the kingdom of God. Because before the church can do anything, it's got to become something. And let me just go ahead and hit this point real quick. The church is not here to accept who we are and what we have. I want to cover this. Yes, you can come to Jesus. And yes, you can come to church just as you are. I mean, I mean, let's just really break that down. Can you come any other way? If I don't come as I am, that means I have to come as an imposter, as an imitation, as a fake. Anybody agree with me? We have enough fakeness in the church in the last days, enough imitation, enough copycats, enough put on the show, so nobody knows what's really going on. No, we come to him. I wore a suit today. Look at that. For those of you that were wondering, break them out once a year. So you know your pastor owns a suit and a tie. I remember the days. Well, that's just what you wore. Anybody remember those days? You wore suits and ties. You dressed up. You want to you reverence the place of God. Heard people say, you know, if I was going to dress up in a suit to meet the president, why wouldn't I dress up in a suit to meet the king? All these things. And those are great. But what we're seeing here in this passage is that Jesus saw something different about these men. Something different than the religious crew. The religious crew was focused on an outward condition. But Jesus is always more interested with what's on the inside. And as a church, we have to remember that there's a person within the person. That there's a life within. You come as you are. You come as you are. This, this paralyzed man came as he was. He's not trying to put on anything. He's not trying to, to, to get spruced up. He's not trying to fake it till he makes it. He's, he's not trying to, to church it up, if you will. And I know that this technically isn't church, but hey, it's people gathering and Jesus is preaching. So let's just call it church. And they're bringing this man, these four guys, and they actually disrupt what Jesus is trying to do. You know, we're not, we don't do real well with disruptions in church. <laughs> you know, I think part of it's because we've become so orderly and, and, and produced with everything that, you know, if the sound does something weird or the lights do something weird or, you know, one thing's out of place or, you know, all these different things, that, then it just disrupts, you know, everything that we're trying to do. And, and then on top of that, we think that the Holy Spirit is so sensitive that he can't overcome some disruptions. Well, tell that to Jesus. I mean, nobody's digging through our roof right now. Trying to get in. But what kind of disruptions could take place as we're gathered here to hear from the Word of God? And could we see through the disruption to the need that's at hand? Are we so interested in our lives and our ideas uh, uh, it's being disrupted? that we can't actually see the real need on the other hand. And this is why this is so important is because Jesus actually came to disrupt stuff. He came to jack up everything those Pharisees thought God was. He came to disrupt patterns. He came to disrupt Behaviors. He came to disrupt ideas. In fact, you know, the mission that Jesus came to this planet with this might be revelation or this might be review. So receive it either way. But Jesus did not come to this earth to die on a cross for your sins and to get you to heaven. And I know that's the plan that so many have heard before. In church. Did he do that? Yes. But that was a byproduct, not the goal. The goal was to restore the kingdom of God back into the earth as it was declared in Genesis chapter one. That was the goal. That was his only interest, getting the kingdom back into the earth. Dying on a cross was removing the sin. Why? Because sin separated us from God. And as long as we were separated from God, we could not be redeemed to have the kingdom restored back to us. Will I die and go to heaven, Pastor Mark? You're scaring me right now. What's gonna happen? Yes, you will. But you're still in this planet. And God wants you to actually bring heaven to earth. You don't have to wait to get there. You have access to it now, and you can see heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are the words of Jesus. But this is the thing. To restore the kingdom of God, he had to destroy the ideas of man. To restore the kingdom of God, Jesus had to destroy the ideas of man. Isn't that the thing that always gets in the way of what God is trying to do is my idea of what he's trying to do. I mean, even when I want God to move in my life, and if I'm believing God for, for, for healing or believing God for a financial breakthrough or believing God for a re- restoration in a relationship, uh, there's my idea of how God's gonna do it and then there's the way that God will actually do it. And many times my idea is what's standing in the way between me and blessing. And how, how do I get away from my idea? It's called surrender. It's called surrendering all. It's called laying down anything and everything. And usually when God is right up close to getting you the breakthrough you're believing for, you will be uh, uh, confronted with this idea of surrender. What are you willing to lay down? to see the restoration in that marriage? What are you willing to give to see the finances turn around? What are you willing to do to see the healing flow in your body. And it's not that what I do gets what God does, but it's that what I have is in the way of what God's trying to do, what God's trying to say, how God's trying to move. And we become like Naaman, where I have my idea, So don't tell me that I need to go dip seven times in some dirty lake. Oh, I've got a better way to get God to move on my behalf. But if we would just surrender and obey and hand it all over and say, all of it, belongs to you. You can have my mind. You can have my heart. You can have my soul. You can have my spirit. You can have my body. You can have my decisions. You can have my agendas. You can have my ideas. You can have my ways. You can have my finances. You can have all of me if it brings about glory for you. It's not until I fully surrender, because we want all that he has, and he wants all that you have. And so, to restore the kingdom, Jesus has to destroy some ideas. And so, he confronts these religious leaders. Hey, they didn't have to. It's not like they're making a big commotion, he didn't have to. It's not like they're, they're, they're spreading this among those that are in the room. It says it was in their hearts, they were thinking this to themselves minding their own business. But Jesus knows that if certain things are let go, it will hinder me from accomplishing what I'm trying to bring to this earth. The restoration of the kingdom means the destruction of some ideas and the destruction of some agendas and the destruction of some plans. And so he speaks to these men. And the sad part is that their internal condition was actually worse than the young man's external condition. And so many times we see this, especially in the book of Mark. There was another issue where there was a demon-possessed man sitting in the synagogue. And Jesus gets up to speak and the demon-possessed man uh, begins to cry out with a loud voice. Now, going to the synagogue wasn't just something you did on a whim. Going to the synagogue wasn't just, I think I'll go do that today. This is a man that went there on a regular basis. So my question is, how was that demon allowed to sit in that synagogue and never brought attention to? Never felt that he had to be confronted or disrupted. But now Jesus, a man of authority, shows up. And again, the religious leaders had an issue. There was another time where there was a man that had a withered hand. But the Pharisees had a withered heart. And so I asked today, what's worse? A withered heart or a withered hand? A withering away on the inside or a withering away on the outside? And Jesus said, just so you know, I've got power to do both. I can forgive the man of his sins and set him free on the inside. And see the man take his mat, get up and walk out of here different than the way that he came in. And that's what church is all about. Church is about getting to what's on the inside and seeing people set free on the outside. Because Jesus can do it all. We don't have to pick and choose in this house today. Whatever is binding you and whatever is if you are locked down, whatever chains are on your life today, those chains can come off if it's physical If it's mental, if it's emotional, if it's financial, if it's spiritual, God wants to set you free. But notice, Jesus saw what? Their faith. Jesus saw their faith. He saw the same thing everybody else was seeing. And when some people saw a disruption and when some people saw a commotion and when some people saw an inconvenience, I mean, I just wonder what's going through the owners of the house. (laughs) Last time I let a traveling evangelist borrow my house, you go somewhere else. Traveling evangelists come in here, blow in, blow up and blow out was dead on this guy. He literally blew in, blew up my house. Okay, where are you going? Hey, you gonna fix this? But what was a deficit for one man was somebody else's blessing. What would we allow people to disrupt so we could see them set free? Do we see their faith? Or do we see the commotion? Do we see a disruption? Do we see the potential for healing? Or do we just focus on the brokenness? And let me remind you that we were all broken at some point. We all needed mending. We all needed a touch from God. And whether it was this house maybe another house, another church. Somebody made way for you to meet God. We say this around here that we're not building a church for people. We build a church for God. That's who we're building this for. We want to create an atmosphere, an environment, where people can come face-to-face with a God. I'll be the first to tell you, I can't fix your problem. I can't heal your body. I can't mend your marriage. I, I can't, I can't bring, bring hope to hopelessness. I, I can't say enough words that the hurting and the pain would, would begin to cease. That, that, I don't have that power, but I know the one who does. And if you'll just come and get connected, we can get you face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he will do what only he can do. And he'll turn backwards situations frontwards. He'll get you back on your feet, on a path, on dry ground, and he will get you across to the other side. I don't know how, I don't know when, but he'll do it again. Amen. This is the church. This is the church. It's interesting. You know, it said those Pharisees, they were sitting there. And again, this is encouragement. This is not condemnation. And I'm speaking for Anchor Faith Church. I can't speak for every church. I can't speak for every ministry or every person that calls themselves a minister. I can't, I can't speak for all that. But I believe one of the things that's hindering the church is not so much what is happening, but our focus on what is happening. Let me explain. We can have conversations all day long about what this person did and what this person does and what that ministry said. And, 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 and look, you know, I'm on social media, barely. And I see stuff, stuff that pastors share, stuff that pastors say. I mean, I just saw a, a pastor of a very large ministry here in the United States. I guess they're teaching on marriage And so he quoted Dr. Dre, a rapper. Something about a marriage or being married or what makes a good marriage and followed it up with some of the best marriage advice I've ever heard. Really? Better than this? Better than these words? And sure, I know you're trying to reach a group that may not listen to you unless you are relatable and relevant and all these other silly words that we try to tag on to our messages and, and ministries and, and all this stuff. I get it, you know, whatever. I can't focus on that stuff. I, I, can't, I can't fix my focus on what somebody else is doing. I, I've, I've got too much here to focus on. And the thing that I have found is I notice more of that stuff and that stuff bothers me internally more when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Because people that row the boat tend to not rock the boat. And when I'm just busy doing what God's called me to do, it doesn't matter what they're doing next door to me. It doesn't matter what, what they're, they're doing on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, around the world, how big their ministry is, how many people they're following them. And, 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 and I, I just, I don't have time for it. I've got a work to do. I've got an assignment to do. And I can't let anything compromise the assignment that God has placed on Anchor Faith Church About us, I I can't. I can't worry about what other people are saying. I can't even worry about what other people are saying about us. Sure, I wanna have a ministry in a church that's of good reputation and that people talk about very highly and, and would even encourage people to come to. And, 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 and many of you have probably found us that way, either through word of mouth or you know hearing somebody say, man, you gotta check them out, you gotta come to church with me, all those great things, that's awesome. But Jesus didn't always have people talking great things about him. They, he didn't always have the best reputation. He didn't always, and he couldn't be moved by that he he wasn't asking his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 who do people say that I am out of insecurity (laughs) he wasn't saying that because I I don't really know you know I kind of don't feel like the son of God anymore and you know I just want to know what people were saying about me did you see Jesus Peter what what are they saying I just I don't feel as powerful as I once did no He knew who he was. He wanted them to know. God God never asks a question to get the answer. You ever thought about that? If God is asking a question, (laughs) you're in trouble. (laughs) Not him. If he ever stops and says, you know where you're going. He's not trying to find out where you're going. He wants you to know you're not going where I told you to go. When he asked the question, how have you robbed me? He wasn't trying to find out what they were withholding. He was trying to help them find out that when you come in here, I get the measly little broken leftover stuff. I get all the goats that have three legs and are blind and you know, don't, don't, nobody would buy that mess and that's what you're sacrificing to me and you're keeping the best stuff for yourself. You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. I've got the answer is what he's saying. He's not asking the question to get an answer. Jesus is not asking who do people say that I am to find out who he is. He knows who he is. He's trying to help them discover in about six months, they're going to put my life on a cross. They're going to sacrifice me. I'm laying myself down. And you need to know who I am. And Peter speaks up. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, well, don't, don't get too big of a head, Peter. You didn't come up with that on your own. My Father in heaven told you that. And on this rock, I will build my church. If he designed it, guess what? He gets to dictate how it works, how it operates. And We're a part of the church, co-laborers with Christ to discover what he's trying to do and how he's trying to get it done. And so what happens is, is when I'm not busy doing my part, when I'm not busy putting in my effort and, 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 and doing what I can do to help the overall effort, I become distracted by noises, and I become distracted by what's going on around me, and, I, and I, I get swayed off of what God has called me to do. But when I put my hand to the plow, it says, I do not look back, but I continue to help the kingdom advance, and I can't worry about what people are saying, and I can't worry about what people are doing, and I can't worry about what other people are preaching. I've got to stay with what God has told me to do. That's the only way the church will be effective. I want you to look down a little further in Mark chapter 2. A little further here. In verse 18. He's continuing on in the new living. Says once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast? Like John's disciples and the Pharisees do. And I want to say this and I'm going to close on this point. As a church, we have to quit fixating on methods and how somebody does something. There, is, there are no two churches alike. I'm sure there's a lot that want to be like somebody else, want to copy and imitate and do whatever. I've, I've heard of preachers literally just downloading someone else's outline and preaching it to their people. I've heard of it. Hope it was good. I get my downloads from heaven. Not that I can't glean, not that I can't learn, and not that I can't be encouraged by what someone else says. And I'll give another pastor, uh, I'll, I'll give him, I'll say I got it from someone else one time and after that it's mine. I'll give him credit the first time. I might say, Pastor Chris said, and then the second time I might say, I heard a pastor say one time. And the third time, I'm just going to say, I, you know, I'm taking credit for this one. <laughs> nah, it all came from the Holy Spirit anyways. But effectiveness, that's what I'm talking about today. The church reminding us that we are the body of Christ and we are a hope for the world. But Jesus says here, he replies, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old Wine skins, for the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Can I just help us out today? That it may look different. It may sound different. But if the message that is going forth is the uncompromised word of God that is from Jesus and for the world, we have to rally around that mission. And we have to rally around that effort. The Bible says that we cannot be defeated from the outside. The church, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. And so the enemy knows I can't get a foothold from the outside. I've tried every angle and I can't get in there. But if I can get within... If I can cause division and dissension, and look, some of our conversations, it's not like we're trying to tear the thing apart or split the thing up, but it's how it starts at the root. It starts as a seed, a seed of bitterness and a root of bitterness and a seed of dissension. And I'm going tell you right now, it is so much easier to bend down and pull a seed out of the ground than it is to rip a tree out of the ground once it's taken roots and it's really locked in to the ground. I want to pull up the seed when it's still a seed. And I want to pull up the root. And I do not want to give the enemy any foothold and any place to cause uh, this ministry to not fulfill what God has called us to do. And the little questions and the the little changes and the little things. We've gone through a lot of changes in the last year. By the way, this is celebrating one year since we moved into this facility. It's been one year this weekend. Can you believe it? One year, 12 months that we've been in this facility. A lot of changes. And I'm aware of it. I'm the pastor. I wrote the check or called the shot on a lot of it one thing has not changed that we exist to anchor people to Christ to live life by faith worship team if you'd come one thing has not changed that there are broken hurting people in this world and when I become distracted by menial things my purpose is compromised God is bigger God is bigger God is bigger We've got a job to do. And Jesus says, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. He so says, sometimes you got to change it up. But it's the wine that matters. It's the wine that counts. It's the wine. It's what are you giving away to people? What are you giving in this town, this community, in this world needs what we have. Needs what we have. So I just want to give you some review today. And I hope you'll remember why we do what we do. I hope you'll remember that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Gates of hell cannot prevail. I don't know about you. I've never seen a gate be used as a weapon. That means that the church is on the offensive. The church is taking ground and the gates will not be able to withstand what we're bringing, but there's a qualifier. You have to be his church can't just be a building with a sign. You can't just be people that come together but bicker and argue and find out what's wrong with everybody and, and disrupt, uh, uh, you know, what God's trying to do. You, you can't do that. You have to qualify. We are His church led by the head, Jesus Himself. That's the bottom line. There's a lot of things in these last days that don't excite me. There's a lot of things in these last days that break my heart. There's a lot of things in these days that that are a burden and a weight. I I, I could talk to people, well-meaning people, and and we could have conversations all day long about the things that are happening that shouldn't be happening. But at the end of the day, I've got to put my hand back to the plow. Say, God, How would you have me be an answer? God, what would you have me to do? How would you have me come alongside and support what you're doing? God has a work he's trying to accomplish in the year. We ended the year with that last year. We said that God is not done and neither are we. God is not done with the planet. God is not done moving and shaking and working in the earth. He needs you and I. To come alongside the mission through the local church so that we can see the world won for him. The Bible says that God desires that none perish, no not one. I tell you this no one's more disappointed about the world that is lost than God it will never break your heart more than it breaks his heart But he's put you in the earth as an avenue to reach whoever we can for the kingdom of God to see his kingdom restored back on this earth and when we do it his way It'll be fruitful. It'll be productive. It'll manifest results. And it might not look. Let me just say this. There's a lot that we expect out of church that was determined and developed by our experience. You know what I mean? Method wise. I'm not talking about the word. The word's very clear on our message. We'll talk about it. We are a standard and pillar of truth. Not to be wavered around by any idea of what the world thinks is moral and ethical. When that's compromised or confronted, that's our time to stand up and say, No, this is what God says. This is what the word says. And you stand up when sin is tolerated. And you speak out when sin becomes the norm. But outside of that, a lot of what we expect out of church was determined or dictated by an experience you had. Maybe as a young child. Maybe you went to your grandparents' church. Maybe you went to church in the South. And I'll tell you right now, church in the North looks different than church in the South. And church in the West looks different than church in the East. And church is different if you're in the rural area or if you're in an urban area. And when we start building our churches on that, we falter and we fail. No, we need to be led by the Spirit. We need to be led by what God says we should be doing that's going to allow us to be the most effective and allow us to reach this community for the kingdom of God so father we thank you now we thank you come on you need to thank him be grateful that he's brought you to a church be grateful and be thankful that he's brought you to a house that's going to advance the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you that we don't have to be a part of this. We get to be a part of this. Father, we declare now that the gates of hell will not prevail against the work that you are doing in this community through our lives. We offer ourselves as vessels of honor, vessels that will carry new wine to people that need new life. Father, we will not be moved We will not be shaken by what we see or by what we hear. We don't care about the disruptions and the commotion, but we put our hands to the plow and we will not look back. We will stand our ground. In unity, we will see chains fall. fall. We will see fear bow. We will see the lame walk. We will see the blind see. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed us to set the captive free. Right now, where you're at, just get an image. You know people that are captive. You know people that are bound. You know people that are locked up. You know people that are, that, that are locked down. Come on, get an image. See them face to face. Get them in front of you. They need what you have. They need what you have. They need what you have. This is not the time to lay down. This is not the, this is the time to wage war. We're in a fight. We're in a fight. Jesus said there in Mark 2 he said I come for those that have obtained their righteousness I've come for those that are lost those that are broken now say this say Lord send me say Lord I answer the call your church. Send me. Send me as your hand. Send me as your voice. Send me as your feet. Give me the words to say. Give me the boldness to proclaim the glory of the Lord.